welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the afternoon service of Sunday the 3rd of November 2013. Here's Brother Stuart Harvey. Well, I just want to say before the girls do come up, I really appreciate uh, the way you've made us feel so welcome, the work that you've all put in to the food, the fellowship, and just, just really... Um, you know, treating us in a very special way. And it's, it's your great day, it's your anniversary, and we're just very pleased and very honoured, really, to have been uh, just a little part of that. And we appreciate the way that you have uh, really just welcomed us, and uh, it's just been special to be, be a part of this today. I love that hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. Of course, Spafford wrote that, didn't he, after his daughters and his wife had drowned and died, and he could say, It Is Well With My Soul. It's just incredible as we sing and read those words to, 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 to see the testimony. Uh, you know, I, I couldn't stand here and honestly say I'd have the same grace. I hope I would. I hope God would give it to me, but I'd be a liar if I said, I could do that. Said the Lord, it's him, isn't it? It's him. He can do it. He can do it. Amen. Uh, so thank you all uh, so, so much. I appreciate those of you that stayed stayed here this afternoon and uh, we'll spend a little bit of time together. Of course, I know it's after lunch and the battle will not be against principalities and powers. The battle will be against snoring this afternoon. If you sleep, sleep quietly. Amen. Don't, uh, uh, don't snore. I, I have a cure before the girls come and sing. I have a little sanctification test. I don't know if you've ever carried it out in your church, Brother Lay, probably never need. I have a little sanctification test that we do. Um, could I ask you all to just stand up where you are a minute, please? Yeah, it's good, good to stretch, good to stretch, isn't it? Okay, now remember, this is a sanctification test. And the Lord knows how sanctified we are. Could I ask everybody on my right-hand side to shuffle across to the middle and pick a chair, pick any chair, any chair you like in the middle. Shuffle, shuffle over. I know some of these chairs have probably got your names carved and engraved on them, but just shuffle, <laughs> shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. Remember, this is a sanctification test now. The Lord's looking at your heart. Lord's looking at your spirit. Lord can hear what you're saying, even though I can't. Amen. Shuffle, shuffle, shuffle. I can't believe he's made. I've sat in this chair for 45 years. Amen. Amen. Now, those of you on the left aren't immune from the sanctification test as well. Those of you on my left, could you pick a chair, pick any chair, it's like a game. Shuffle into the middle, sanctification test. Remember, Lord's looking at your heart right now. So your lips moving like this, looking good, looking good, looking good. Any chair, pick any chair. And you see, see what the Lord does? Fills the church. Amen? We've got a full choice. Now, this is because I like to keep something under the pulpit, so if anybody's snoring, I can just throw it at you. And I, I can't throw that far. My arm's not so good. Amen. Sit down, please, if you would. hope you don't mind me moving you, but I do suffer, genuinely I do suffer from a bit of a stiff neck, and it just, you know, because we can all get in the middle, it makes it a little bit easier for me. I hope, And I hope you're appreciating the view from where you are. It's like being in a new church when you move seats, isn't it? I always find that. Amen. We always used to make a point of, uh, of, of moving chairs and then, you know, we're, we're no different. We've got, we got a couple of old ladies who always sit in the same chair no matter what, even when you... So I used to run around and move the handbags when I was, fir- when I was first in the ministry. They used to get so mad at me. Oh, man, I learned. Don't mess with the old people. Just leave them. Let them sit there. Let them, let them sit there till they go to glory. Amen. All right, well, let's, let's, let's have um, Carissa and Alan. If you come and sing for us, girls, with, uh, with whatever the Lord's... I, I thought uh, you weren't going to sing uh, Here is Love Vast as the Ocean as you spe- Oh, wonderful. His heart was broken, mine was mended. He became sin, now I am clean. The cross he carried bore my burdens. The nails that held him set me free. His life for mine, his life for mine. How could it ever be? would die, God's son would die, to save 
His cause of suffering brought me healing. He spilled his blood to fill my soul. His crown of thorns made me royalty. His sorrow gave me joy untold. His life for mine, his life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die? God's son would die to save a wretch like me. What love divine, he gave his life for mine. He was despised and rejected, stripped of his garment and oppressed. I am loved and accepted, and I wear a robe of righteousness. His life for mine, his life for mine. How could it ever be that he would die, God's son would die, to save a wretch like me? Thank you, girls. That's beautiful. And, uh, you know, true sentiment, he gave his life for ours, didn't he? And uh, sometimes I think we take that for granted a little bit. I don't think we do it intentionally. I think it's just the way we are, isn't it? It's the human nature. Well, I am definitely going to, uh, to take my watch off this afternoon. I felt like Hezekiah this morning. We gained about 15 years, didn't we? I didn't realise that clock had stopped working. I was preaching on one point and it, I noticed about 20 minutes in it had moved by about a minute. So I definitely will take that off this afternoon. I think you've gone through the endurance this morning and I'll try not to, uh, to repeat that this afternoon. And somebody's moved my Bible marker because it should have been in Daniel and isn't. So that's always the way, isn't it, when somebody messes with your Bible. I don't know what people read these things on occasion as well. It, it really disrupts you. I'm going to take to that. If you would this afternoon, uh, turn to the book of Daniel. And uh, chapter 8 will be a, a start place, chapter 8. Um, I normally do preach expositorily, uh, to be honest, but God gave me two messages this week that weren't. Um, so, so there you go, uh, make of that, uh, that what you can. A great church we looked at this morning. Great church. And I think, you know, sometimes probably you the same as me this morning, probably going, yeah, you know, I believe in all that, I want all that, I see all that, you know, but, but what, 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 what can we do? What can we do? We're doing all that and nothing's happened. I think sometimes we need the touch of God. And that's almost a phrase that we as Baptists won't really use very often uh, because it is so misused among contemporary Christianity. You know, it's like deliverance ministries and all the rest of it, touch of God and anointing and all the rest of it. And... Um, but I want to say to you today from the Scriptures and show to you from the Scriptures, sometimes we do need the touch of God on our lives, every one of us, every single one of us, as individuals and as a church. And when God does touch individuals, when God does touch a church, um, he never does it for man's glory. He does it for, for his glory, for his goodness, and usually because there's something he wants to do with us and through us. And I want to look at a few verses from Daniel today, and the, the reason is this. Daniel stood in a foreign nation. Daniel stood in a foreign culture. Daniel stood 
in a foreign religion. And by foreign, I mean everything that was alien to him and everything that was alien to his knowledge of God. And he managed even amongst a world that was alien to him, godless, pagan, he managed to separate himself from its influences, yet rise to a position of prominence, power, influence and prestige amongst the culture and amongst the society where he lived his life from a young man until he was an old man. Because I think the danger is uh, we, can, we can make much of our need to separate. We can make much of our, our standards. We can make much of the word of God. But sometimes the danger is we can isolate ourselves to the point of view, as I said this morning, where we're not actually impacting the community around us. Impact your world. That was the theme, wasn't it, of the young people's ministry earlier this year. And that doesn't change for us as older people. We do need to impact our world. And I think Daniel stands as a great picture to how believers in the New Testament church should be among our nation, among our culture, among all the varying influences that are out there, and even to influence our government as much as we can. And Daniel, in that sense, stands as one who had the touch of God upon him to enable him to achieve something incredible and something faithful out there. And I think in our hearts that's what we all want, but sometimes we we don't know how to do it or sometimes we don't just feel we've got the energy or the power uh, to do it. You know, I I wonder sometimes are we burying a Babylonish garment and a a wedge of gold like Achan in our houses that we may bring destruction upon ourselves as opposed to the blessing of God. How did Daniel manage to stay strong? How did he manage to stay separated? How did he manage to stay stirred for the things of God? How did he manage that, yet have a completely unpolluted testimony? Daniel's testimony was unpolluted. There's not one, as far as I'm aware, unless you can tell me different, Brother Larry, am I reading the book of Daniel? I can't find a single condemnation of Daniel's behaviour, conduct or faith. You know, it didn't matter what they said to him. It didn't matter even if they changed the law of the land to go against God's word. Through it all, Daniel stood faithful. And God deeply loved Daniel and he tells him so. But how did Daniel achieve greatness in God's eyes? Well, in the heart of Babylon. Because he had the touch of God. And I want to say to us all this afternoon, I hope every one of us here want to achieve greatness in God's eyes for God's purposes. And we need the touch of God in our life. And the answer is found in the scriptures. If you would, Daniel chapter 8. I'm going to read from a few verses in uh, different chapters of Daniel. But Daniel chapter 8 this afternoon. Read. Let's just read verses 15 and 19. Please follow along with me as I read. Daniel chapter 8, verse 15. The word of God says, And it came to pass when I, even I, Daniel, had seen the vision and sought for the meaning. Then behold, there stood before me as the appearance of a man. And I heard a man's voice between the banks of Uli, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. So he came near where I stood, and when he came, I was afraid and fell upon my face. But he said unto me, Understand, O son of man, for at the time of the end shall be the vision. Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground. But he touched me and set me upright. And we'll end our reading there. May God be pleased to bless the reading of his word. Let's just bow our heads in prayer a moment. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word to us. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that we can read. Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you've given us the written scriptures for our instruction, our edification, for reproof. And uh, Lord, just for all good things. And Heavenly Father, for all the things that we need. And Lord God, we thank you as we look upon Daniel as a great example as he went into a difficult land, a land that was alien to him. 
Heavenly Father, I believe many of us probably find that the land in which we live in today as Christians, well, as Christians who desire to uh, to live righteously and rightly, Lord, we, we perhaps feel alien in our land and culture. Heavenly Father, we, we feel some things are, are completely foreign to us. And Lord God, we ask that you'd help us to maintain a strong testimony and maintain the fact that we'd be stirred and zealous for the things of thee. And Heavenly Father, that we could have an unpolluted life amongst a life of uh, truly wickedness and sin that surrounds us. Father, help us to impact our world. Help us to have a testimony in this world that stands apart, that, Father, we may be a light. Heavenly Father, we should shine as lights in this world, and a city set on a hill cannot be hid. Father, Daniel truly was a light in his culture, starting right from the time that he was, he was taken away. Heavenly Father, he made some determinations at the beginning. He remained polite, uh, and Lord God, he, he remained uh, open not to cause offence, but God, he took a stand. And Lord, I think we can learn much from Daniel, but Father, just like Daniel, Lord, as you revealed to him some things difficult for him to see, Father, your word before us reveals, reveals things difficult for us to see. Father, we need your touch upon us to set us straight and help us stand, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, book of Daniel, of course. Daniel was given uh, prophecy, given revelation right to the end. The book of Daniel forms the foundation for which the book of Revelation is the consummation of all things. The New Testament, uh, God gave the revelation to, to John. And the thing was for John, as it was for Daniel, as God unveiled the visions to them, the things he could see of the times of the end, uh, they were things difficult for him to receive, the same as the revelation was when it was given to John, things difficult to receive. And we were talking a little bit just after lunch this afternoon, you know, it is difficult for us to have the knowledge of God's word, knowing all God has opened the revelation to us through the printed page. You know, we know what happened at the beginning, we know what's going to happen at the end, and we know what happens in between and we know what's going to happen to all our loved ones and dear ones and our friends and families if they remain unsaved. That's a hard vision for us to have, isn't it? You know, I was saying to brother, like, you know, if we were writing it, we wouldn't, we wouldn't send lost people to, a, to an eternal hell. We wouldn't do it. And, um, but, but unfortunately, God is God. And I say unfortunately, I mean in a human sense, God can do what, what he wills. So <clears throat> when the visions were unveiled to Daniel... It floored him. It put him on his face. He had to function with everything that God gave him. And he needed God's touch in many areas of his life to do certain things of his life. And firstly, we find here in the verses we've read before us today is God's touch, first of all, set him straight. In verse 18, we find at the end, but he touched me and set me upright. He set Daniel straight. He set him upright. And we need God's touch, don't we? Daniel had fallen into a deep sleep because of the revelations that were being unveiled to him. And it says that Daniel heard a man's voice between the banks of the Uli, the river, the canal that was there in Babylon, which called and said, Gabriel, make this man to understand the vision. Daniel had gone into a deep sleep. Daniel hears a voice, probably God's voice, we don't know for sure, instruct the angel Gabriel to make him understand the revelation. <clears throat> and Daniel had fallen into a deep sleep, fat, flat on his face. You know, there's a danger, isn't there, because of the revelation that we've received from God's word, even as a great church, that we could want to retreat 
And we could be want to be flat on our face before God, but it's almost sometimes as if we've gone into a deep sleep because of the difficulties that face us, the difficulties that beset us, and the difficulties we have, the struggles we have within ourselves because of the knowledge of the revelation of God's special word. And that's very difficult. And we can find ourselves like Daniel where we can be afraid. Many find themselves like Daniel today and, you know, they're seeing angels, uh, but their focus is on the angels and the visions. You know, if Daniel would have gone, oh, look at the angel Gabriel flying around the room. Wow, an angel. I've seen an angel. And listen, I believe in the ministry of angels because Hebrews talks about it. I believe in ministering spirits and we can entertain angels unaware of strangers. I believe in all that. But angels appear to man with a message for man. And there's a danger today that, that, that many, many of us can get sidetracked between looking for the angels and the visions of angels and missing the message that God is trying to give to us. And we fall into a sleep, into a trance-like state. In fact, many would speak of that, you know, we gather, we go into a trance, we see angels flying around the room and we worship God. Listen, if we're in a trance, flat on our face, seeing the angels flying around the room, we're missing the message that God wants to give to us. So Daniel needed God's touch to set him upright. Daniel was flat on his face. Daniel couldn't cope with what he saw before him. Now I say to you, if you're flat on your face and you don't think you can even take anymore, if you're flat on your face, maybe you're, maybe you're long in your Christian service. Maybe you're long in your walk with the Lord. You've been out there. You've done the streets. You've knocked the doors. You've shared the gospel with everyone you know. You've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and God hasn't answered your prayer in a specific way or so it seems. And maybe you're at the point where, like Daniel, the vision of God's revelation opened up to you has put you flat on your face. Then maybe you need the touch of God on your life this morning, on this afternoon, to set you up straight, to set you upright. Daniel uh, really needed that understanding. And to get the understanding of the revelation that God wanted to give him, it's more difficult to tread the right path, isn't it? It's more difficult to tread, the to tread the straight path. For Daniel, it was far more difficult for him to stand upright and receive the truth of God's word than it was for him to fall fat on his face in a deep sleep. You see, you know, a river runs crooked because it follows the path of least resistance. If we try and take the easiest course in life, it will lead us through a crooked path as Christians. Our walk will be interrupted and interfered with and, uh, and we'll run out of steam very fast. And, you know, the devil will be quite happy if we fall flat on our face and just say, do you know what, I've done my bit for the Lord. I can't do any more. I've got to pass it on to somebody else. I'm a big believer in the fact that it doesn't matter where you are in your salvation. It doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are. The Lord has something that he's revealed to you through his word. The Lord has something that he wants you to do and off the back of being a great church this morning this really is about where the rubber hits the road and we can want those great things but we need the touch of God on our lives to set us up straight to set us up right and receive what God wants to give to us as individuals so that we can be a help and a blessing amongst our Babylonian nation that we've got out there which is worshiping everything in many senses that Babylon worshiped you see set me upright you see, Daniel was made to stand, made to stand because of the touch of God where he was. God never took him away. God didn't move him. God could have removed him from Babylon. But God basically said to Daniel, uh, you're going to have to get off your face to receive this, Daniel. You cannot bury your head in the floor. You've got to stand up right where you are to receive what I have for you. Can I say it is easier to go somewhere else? 
It's always easier to be a better Christian somewhere else. Uh, and, you know, I, I always greatly admire uh, those who are, are, are saved in one place and stay in one place. Now, we have to go where the Lord leads us. But, it, you know, I had 39 years of unsaved testimony and then within a night I was a saved person. Well, you know, when you, you know this, those of you who stayed in the same, same place, the Lord hasn't called you on. I wish God would call me to India or the Philippines. I really do. Why? Because my money would go a lot further until I could be the best Christian that God had ever seen. Because they don't know I was a drunkard. They don't know I was a, whatever I was, a blasphemer, a big man, you know, they don't know. All of a sudden, you're just, you're just super Christian. You're the pastor. But you know where you've got to stay and develop a testimony where you were? That's what Daniel committed to do. And I believe the scriptures had been in him since a young man. And we talked a little bit about that over lunch. You know, he, he was, and when he went into a, a godless community, you know, he didn't run around and just go, you're all going to go to hell and perish and burn if you don't get right. You know, that's, that's, that, that isn't really the, the that, that's a truth, but that's not the way to reach out. He just, you know, when it came to the matter of food, when Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, of course they're the change names, went there, he, was, he just started off by saying, you know, um, give us a 10-day trial on the kind of food we'd like to eat. You know, if that would be okay. And, and test us after 10 days. See what we're like. You know, I don't want you to lose your head as the, as the captain of the eunuchs or whatever. But, but if it would be possible, if we could have this. Sometimes you've got to have that kind of nature, haven't we? We've got to have a bit more of a nature that, that's really, we're not, it didn't compromise a thing. But he, he went with compassion, he went with care, he wanted to do what's right, and he was prepared as a believer to set his belief to the test, and it worked well for him. But sometimes, even with all that, we need God's touch to set us up straight where we are. Would you also see in verse 18 of chapter 8, Now as he was speaking with me, I was in a deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright, and just look at verse 19, and, and he said, Behold, I will make thee know what shall be in the last end of the indignation, for at the time appointed the end shall be. God said, I'm going to give you a special knowledge, Daniel. God was going to, we know Daniel, of course, has the prophecy of 70 weeks. We know that 69 weeks are completed. We know that the church is a parenthesis slotted in the middle. The church will be, the bride shall be caught up. The saints shall be caught up in the rapture. And then Daniel's 70th week shall begin in the tribulation. You know, I'm not telling you something you don't already know. But Daniel didn't know that when it was revealed to him. And God told him he was going to show him the things of the time of the appointed end. You see, God's touch set him up straight, but God's touch gave him sight. Because knowledge, God's knowledge is sight. I understand we walk by faith and not by sight, but the knowledge contained in the word of God gives you and I 20-20 vision. We know what's coming. We can see everything with clarity. We don't put dates on it, but we can see and we know. Do you understand the world has no clue what is coming upon them? The world has no clue what is going to happen. Um, the God of this world has blinded their eyes. And sometimes, you know, we need God's touch on our lives to give us the sight that we need to have, to study the Word of God the way we need to study the Word of God, to have the sight that we need to have that will give us the foresight to reach a lost and dying world who are going to come to a terrible end. 
You know, we've been recently going through, recently been going through Matthew, I've been going through Matthew for five years, but we've recently gone through Matthew 23, 24 and 25. Try preaching that without a break. We had to put some breaks in there, brother, all right? That's, you know, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of woes uh, in there. And, um, but you know, when you look at that tribulation period, when you look at the death, the destruction, the plagues that are coming upon the wood, the judgments of God, the Jews who are going to be beheaded. And if you go on the Psalms, the, the skin is going to be flayed off the bodies of the Jewish people. It is a, this is uplifting stuff, isn't it? It is a terrible, terrible time. You say, what are you saying? I'm saying God's given us the foresight of that. God's given us the knowledge of that. And that is a heavy burden for us to bear. And we need God's touch to set us straight to stand where we are. And we need God's touch to give us the sight through everything that the world is throwing at us to still see clearly, to give us the compassion and care for a people who are going to go through such pain and punishment on this world, never mind their eternal separation from God, to give us the compassion that we need the sight that we need to see beyond the sinner, to see beyond the sin, to see beyond the scoffing. We've got to see beyond that. And we need God's touch for that. I don't know about you, but we're out in the streets and somebody comes up hollering, spitting uh, and, uh, and hollering in your face. I want to turn around and say, I'm glad you're going to hell. You know, in the flesh, you know, when they're spitting at you and going to punch you, and I, maybe that doesn't happen to you, but it happens to me sometimes when I'm preaching on the street. And they almost are you saved? No, good. I'm glad you're going to hell. You're a horrible person. Now, I'd never say that, but the flesh rises up sometimes. What, what are you saying? I'm saying, I need God's touch to give me the sight to see this man or woman's end and to see beyond it. Daniel needed that touch. He could have stood in Babylon. I mean, he was going praying three times a day, throwing open his window, wouldn't bow down, and all the rest of it, just like the rest of them. But, you know, he could have looked around all of Babylon and gone, well, I've managed to get myself a good position. What do I care if these people are going to hell? What am I bothered about? You know, I've got a good wage coming in. People listen to what I say. If they won't receive it, then so be it. I'm, you know, I'm just casting my pearls before, before swine. But he didn't. Daniel stayed a visionary in the land. Daniel stayed faithful. Daniel stayed a witness. But to do that, we've got to have a sight and we need God's touch to have a sight beyond where we are today. And that's only a touch that God can give us. May I say, turn to Daniel chapter 9 as well. God's touch set him straight. God's touch gave him sight. God's touch also gave him skill. In uh, Daniel chapter 9, let's just read verses 20 to 23. Excuse me. Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 to 23. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin, and the sin of my people Israel. That's a prayer, isn't it? Sorry to stop in the middle of a verse, but isn't that amazing? Isn't, isn't that a, a great model for prayer? Start confessing. I mean, I know I was supposed to do glory to God and all that. I know I was supposed to pray. We've all read the models. But confessing his own sin and the sin of his people. Um, you know, how often do we pray to God for personal confession and personal desires? How often do we, do we get on our face for our nation? Do we pray for our nation? I mean, we're called to pray for government and monarchy and all the rest of it. But do we pray for our nation as a nation? We've lost sight of our nation a little bit, haven't we? We're, you know, we, we, we hate the patriotism of Americans. I'm not really sure why, because I actually quite like patriotism. But we've taken it to the opposite extreme and gone, oh, we're not British. We're not even English. We're not Welsh. We're not Scottish. Well, Scottish are Scottish. I mean, they've got patriots. I love that. I like the fight in the Scots. No, I like that. But how often do you pray for your nation, for the sins, and ask God's 
God's forgiveness for the nation, God's forbearance upon our nation. You know, we are rolling towards some truly we're making laws that are wicked and abominable. Do we get on our face and ask God's forgiveness for our nation? I think it's important that we do. It's important that we do. But God's touch gave him skill. While he was confessing and praying for himself and the people of Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, which of course had been ransacked, destroyed. Verse 21. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. That's about three o'clock in the afternoon. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Aren't those amazing verses? I mean, it's amazing that God sent the angel Gabriel, and I'm not going to get all lost into Gabriel and Michael and angels being men and all that kind of stuff, but here's Daniel gets on his face in prayer, confesses his sins, the sins of his nation, hasn't got to his long shopping list of things that he won. God hears his prayer from his throne of grace, dispatches Gabriel, get to Daniel, Woof. Gabriel's flying through the air at the time of the evening oblation, three o'clock in the afternoon, before Daniel has said his final amen. There's Gabriel, wallop. God heard your prayer, Daniel, and now I've come to show you something. I mean, can you imagine that? He hadn't finished praying. God's heard the first sentence gone, it's Daniel again. Gabriel, get down to Daniel. We've got something else we've got to show him. Isn't that incredible? Because if I'm honest, sometimes don't we think we're praying to thin air? We know we're not. Don't misunderstand me. I know we know we're not, but sometimes we think we are. Can you imagine getting on your face, getting on your knees, praying? You've not finished the first line of your prayer, and you look up, and there's the angel Gabriel standing before you. Now, that's not going to happen in this dispensation because we walk by faith, not by sight. We're not going to see him as an angel. We might entertain them unawares. But I am so amazed with the way God dealt with Daniel because he said thou art beloved of God God loved Daniel no God loved Daniel for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life God loves you and I if you're saved today see God loved Daniel Jesus Christ loved the apostle John wasn't he the one whom the Lord loved but Jesus Christ loved the church Ephesians 5.25, and died for the church. My friends, that's you and I today. Don't for a minute think that God doesn't love you and care for you. Don't for a minute think that Jesus Christ, seated at the right hand of the majesty, as he intercedes on your behalf, doesn't hear any more than he needs to. He hears the first line of your prayer and straight away the Son is interceding for the Father on your behalf. You won't find an angel in your bedroom, but you'll find something better than that. The risen, ascended Saviour hears your prayer and intercedes for the Father on yours and my behalf. Before we've even finished the prayer. Isn't that incredible? Daniel was greatly beloved. But we need skill in understanding God's word. And God's touch gave him skill. You see? Uh, because in verse 22, and he informed me and talked with me and said, Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. 
In the New Testament, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 15, God's word says, Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Now, I'll get my little bit in about the King James Bible again. If you don't have one, you won't find both of those commands to study and divide in the Scripture. It's been removed. But it has that twofold imperative upon us, the Word of God. God says, study, study my Word so that we can rightly divide it. Now, I'm not going to get into the divisions or the handlings or whatever you want to say about it, but I'm going to say this. God's absolutely clear. We are to have skill and understanding in God's word because he wants us to unfold it to those in darkness. You say, how can I do that? I left school, I could hardly read. You know, I don't understand the difference. You know, like Dr. Boanerges, the right reverend, you know, everybody's on about predicate nominatives and aorist imperatives, and I don't understand that, so I'll never have any skill in, in understanding God's word. You know, when I first got saved, now I, I, I got saved... None of us can choose the church that we go to when we get saved, can we? We don't know any better, all right? Now, I got saved. I went into a neo-evangelical, semi-conservative, pseudo-Calvinistic church. I can put that description on it now because I know, all right? But thank God he doesn't keep us where we stay when we get saved. If we read this book... We realise, one, Calvinism is a bunch of junk, all right, first and foremost, and then we realise many other things. So God moves us from where we are. But we have to study the book. You see, but when I first got saved, because it was this pseudo-conservative, Calvinistic, blah, 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 every bit of preaching you hear is telling you, well, you must know the Greek. Nothing wrong with understanding it. Please don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. You must know the Greek. You must know the Hebrew. You must have your English grammar. Well, I scraped through an O-level in English. There were O-levels when I was at school. Scraped through English grammar and English literature. C's across the board. Don't excel. So I came, I got saved, but then I realised, oh, you've got to be smart as well, you see. And I thought, well, that's a problem because I'm not a smart guy. And I spent the first three years that I was in that church studying my Greek, you know, Doug Mounts, Greek for dummies, got all my things, got all my software, and I'm learning alpha, beta, theta, and all that, and blah, 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 and blah, it's going to take me three years, I haven't even got the Greek cracked, how long is it going to take me to get the Hebrew? And I, and I ended up three years into my salvation, wanting to be used of God. I remember the day I got down on my knees in my bedroom and said, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. I surrendered, I said, God, I do not, I'd said to my pastor, he, he said one day, I'm, I'm not going to digress much, I don't worry, he said one day to me, I'd been saved about two years he said I can he said I can foresee a day I mean he wasn't a prophet I think he just wanted help he said I can foresee a day he he said when you know people will come to you and you could be and I looked him straight in the eye I said I will never be a pastor I will never do what you do I said because I was close to him I helped him I you know as a man didn't want to see anybody struggle you help so I saw that he laid down his life and people then just as he lay down, people would come and trample over him and spit on him as they passed by. And I could see all this. I said, I'd never do what you do. I said, I don't mind helping you. I said, but if you think I would do what you... Like, I said, I haven't got that kind of heart where I can let people walk all over me. I'll get up and punch him in the face. I couldn't do it. I wasn't very sanctified then. I might have been saved. I said, no, no, no. I said, I'll help you. But I said, you are so far off beat. Be careful what you tell God that you're not going to do, by the way. All right, I think he's just a, you know, people preach about God's sense of humour and he must have one because he went, oh, I heard that, let's see about that. 
But we're to have skill and understanding in God's word. But we, God, was it Tyndale or Wycliffe that said, "Air hey, God, spare me a while. A plowboy shall know more of the scriptures than thou knowest. I always get the two confused. But Tyndale was it that said that? <clears throat> and that's the mindset we need to have to approach the scriptures today. You see, the angel came and told Daniel, who was a clever young man, by the way, that he would give him skill and understanding. And you may say, well, I left school, I haven't got my alphabet of theatres, can't do English grammar, can just about read, what can I do? Four times in the New Testament, God tells you, when we, we are saved, we're sealed in the Spirit, aren't we? Ephesians 1.13, sealed until the day of redemption. But that same Holy Spirit of God, four times in the New Testament, is called the Spirit of Truth. So God's Spirit sealed and indwelling us, God tells us that he will teach us skill and understanding from his Spirit. We can develop a knowledge of his word sufficient that with the touch of God, when we bring our obedience in line to God's touch, when we read a passage and go, I have no idea what that's about. Now it's great, we'll turn around, reach off our shelf, pull off the commentary, click on the thing and we'll get it. Oh yeah, that's what it means, great. But you know, they're not the great moments, aren't they? That's not when we have the touch of God. The touch of God is when we say, God, I cannot understand this and you need to show me. And we read it, we chew over it and we pray about it and then God gives you, here's another scripture back in the Old Testament. Here's this. And it brings light and you know it was God that gave you that touch of truth. And it gives us skill and understanding. Why? Because we can touch our God. Now we can be a student and read the commentaries. Nothing wrong with that. But that's not the touch of God. That's just studiousness. But when we meditate over a text and you walk driving down the car one day and you have a eureka moment. You go, oh, I've got it. That links with that, with that, with that. Oh, got it. And you, we think it's so brilliant. But God's going, I've just given you a touch. That's what he was doing to Daniel. And we need God's touch to give us skill and understanding. Why? Because we need skill and understanding in how God is dealing with people at this time. And without that skill and understanding, we'll be teaching them to slaughter turtle doves in the back garden or kill an oxen or, you know, whatever else. Or we'll be, we'll be you know, we'll tell them all about the tribulation. You know, we need that skill and understanding to study and rightly divide God's word. And we need a touch of God to do that today so that we're absolutely certain that God is looking after his New Testament church and the people within it. But not only that, we see, <clears throat> we also see uh, in Daniel chapter 10, where God touched him again, uh, verses 7 to 11, Daniel chapter 10, verse 7, and I, Daniel, alone saw the vision. There was a burden for him to bear, wasn't it? You know, we, we are burdened when we read God's word. We really are burdened for mankind, and sometimes we feel like we're the only ones. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision. You ever had anybody around you, you think, am I speaking another language? You know, where you just sharing something out of the scriptures with another Christian, or they're sharing something with you and you've no idea what they're talking about because it's a fresh word from God or something. And, uh, and then you're trying to expand. No, look, this is what the scripture says. But they can't see the vision of the scriptures. I think that's how Daniel felt. But a great quaking fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore, I was left alone and saw this great vision and there remained no strength in me, for my comeliness was turned in me into corruption, and I retained no strength. Yet heard I the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then I was in a deep sleep on my face, <clears throat> and my face toward the ground. 
And behold, an hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hand. And he said unto me, O Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto thee, and stand upright, for unto thee am I now sent. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Daniel again received a vision. Of course, we come into the unveiling of the great vision of the tribulation and everything, but Daniel alone saw the vision and he was the only one could see it. And the power of that vision took all his strength from him. Is that a sense that we get when we're burdened for the loss because we know the end? Has God ever dealt with you to the point of having absolute compassion upon the loss that you feel all your strength has gone from you? where you feel you've done everything that you can do and you realize God's got to intercede. God's got to reach. God's got to draw. God's got to do something. Have you felt your own weakness before the truth of God's revelation? Those are sweet times, but you feel there's no strength in you. You can't do anymore. And Daniel was in his deep sleep on his face. The shock on Daniel's body was such that he was almost comatose, flat upon his face. And verse 10, behold, and hand touched me, which set me upon my knees and upon the palms of my hands. Isn't it interesting that God didn't set him straight upon his feet? God set him upon his knees. It says that God made him to stand, but you know what I believe, church? We stand best on our knees. That's where a Christian ought to stand, on our knees. We fight on our knees. We reach out on our knees. We worship God on our knees. The best place for a Christian to be, to stand before God, is on our knees. And we need the touch of God sometimes to put us on our knees today. You know, I mean, the Bible says pray without ceasing. We can pray in any position. I understand that. It doesn't matter if we're standing up, washing up, walking down, driving the car. But sometimes, you know, we need the touch of the Lord to get so broken about the lost when we see the truth of what's unveiled in the Scripture to put us upon our knees to intercede for others. You see, on the knees was where, where the touch of God put Daniel. And he says, oh, Daniel, a man greatly beloved. How many times does God say that about Daniel? How many times does God let us know that? How many times does God show us in the Scriptures how much he loves us? We truly need to be a people of the Scriptures. We need to be in God's Word. You see, if we want to find the touch of God, we need to be in God's Word. We're looking in the wrong places for the touch of God. God will touch us through his written Word. Because the food of his word will impact with his spirit and God will touch us that way. We're looking in the wrong places sometimes. You know, <clears throat> when we have a true understanding of the tribulation and what will happen, when we have a true understanding of the eternal separation of man, unsaved man from God in eternal hell, that order set us trembling. That order break us completely. Uh, uh, may God help us to never become so hardened to our safe position, to never become so hardened to the gospel message that we have forgotten what it is like to be without strength and broken. You know, it's so easy to go, oh, I can stand, I can... You know, I, any one of us can go out and knock on the door, give out a track. We can stand and we can give the gospel and uh, nobody's going to mess with me, nobody's going to knock me off my course. <clears throat> Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed, lest he fall. 
Every one of us folks can fall when we're standing in our own strength, 1 Corinthians 10, 12. When was the last time that God's word touched you and made you tremble? When it made you physically weak, unable to stand? It does happen sometimes. I pray it would happen to us more often. Uh, And that's what God's touch uh, did to Daniel. It it really made him stand because God had to set him upon his feet because it says, and when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. On our knees is where God puts us when he gives us the touch. But when we've had the touch and we've trembled for the lost, God will set us on our feet standing yet trembling. We ought to go out in trepidation. We ought to go out in expectation that God is going to do something amazing. We've stopped expecting God to do something amazing, haven't we? Because we've become creatures of habit. You know, we went out Saturday after Saturday after Saturday, never had a single visitor at the church. We went out and we preached and we preached and we preached and nobody came and talked to us. And we've got to the point where our expectation has been set. We need a touch of God to set us trembling in fear and trembling before Almighty God that we can go out and reach some people. You see, and just look down at verse 16 of chapter 10 as well. God's touch didn't only make him stand. Uh, God's touch didn't only make him speak. God's touch made him strong. Sorry, verse 18. We see in verse 18, it says, Then there came again and touched me, one like the appearance of a man, and he strengthened me. God's touch put him on his knees. God's touch stood him up, trembling, and then God's touch strengthened him. God's touch made him strong. You see, he needed God to enable him to speak. You see, in verse 16 it says, And behold, one like the similitude of men touched my lips, and then I opened my mouth and spake. He spoke and stood in the strength of God's touch. Have you ever become so weakened in yourself that you've lost your desire to speak for the Lord? Happened to Jeremiah, didn't it? Jeremiah actually told the Lord, he said, I'm not going to go anymore. I am not going to speak your name. I am not going to preach again. I'm not going to do it, God. He said, but as a fire in my bones, he said, I couldn't do it. And he had to go out and speak for the Lord, didn't he? That was Jeremiah's ministry. My, what a ministry. But I believe in these times that we live in, it's possible for us even as, you know, uh, spirit-filled, born-again, blood-bought, baptised, believe the book, the blood and the blessed hope and all the rest of it that sometimes we just go, I can't do it anymore. I can't go out there one more Saturday. I can't go out there one more Tuesday. I can't do it again, Lord. And we need God's touch to make us speak and we need God's touch to make us strong. Do you know... I'll be honest enough with you and I'll admit that some Saturday mornings when we're about to go on outreach and when I'm driving there, I don't want to be there. I'm driving there. There's a million other things that I could be doing. I'm sure you've found the same, Brother Larry, on occasion. For whatever reason, it's Saturday morning, your sermons aren't done, you've got a morning of outreach, an afternoon of fellowship, food and all the rest of it that goes with it, and you're just thinking, I do not want to be here today. And you may be walking up to the high street or wherever you go to the doors, you know, I don't want to be here. And Do you know what? Everybody else in the church has given up their Saturday morning. They don't want to be there either. Look, it's all right to be honest about these things. Come to the outreach. Come, come. We must reach the... Oh, all right. I haven't been for three weeks. I'll go this week. You don't want to be there. The pastor doesn't want to be there. We all just want to pray to God and God will open the doors and bring them all in. That's what we all want. But have you ever come back feeling the same way? I've never come back feeling the same way and I thank God for that. The first person you speak to, 
The first door you knock on, the first song you sing in the high street, God's already blessed you whether, you, whether you've got the gospel message to anybody. And I thank God that I never come back feeling the same way as I go out. And I hope you feel the same, because that's God's touch. We've, we've even begrudgingly come obediently sometimes, because we must be obedient. But then in the obedience, God says, I know, but just do it anyway. And then as soon as we start doing what is God's will for us to do, we get that touch of God and that smile. And somebody says, ask you a question. And all of a sudden, from the depths of within comes this wonderful uh, Bible verse or something of Christ and him crucified. And we're just beaming inside, aren't we? Because we know we're in the will of God. That's God's touch of blessing and reward for obedience. Daniel was strengthened through this difficult experience. You see, Daniel wasn't being unfaithful to the Lord. Daniel lost all his strength. Daniel was in trembling. Daniel was flat on his face. Daniel had nothing left in him, not from running away from the Lord, from being faithful to the Lord's vision to him. Daniel was where he should be, doing what he was doing, but he got nothing left in him. And God touched him and made him strong, made him stand, made him speak, because he was being faithful. What I'm saying, folks, it's okay to be a great church and find that you've still got nothing in you. And we need God's touch. That's when we need God's touch to make us strong. Do you know what? Yeah, in all that will live God, godly in Christ Jesus, you'll suffer persecution. You know, that, that's a Bible promise. It's not one we like to claim, but it is a Bible promise. That it, listen, we can suffer persecution from being an idiot. You know, I've discovered that enough time. Not persecution, I mean that strongly. Listen, I can go out and upset anybody. I can go out and offend anybody if that mind is upon me. And, you know, you might be the same. Before I got saved, sarcasm was something that I had developed an excellency. Okay? I had a tongue like Zorro. Cut you to pieces. Do you understand that's what sarcasm means in the Greeks, by the way? That's sarks, it's the ripping of the flesh. When we're sarcastic, it rips flesh off people. That's what, that's what it means. There's a little bit of Greek for you. Throw that in. That was free. Then you can have that one. Now, when we get saved, we don't get smart and we bring our temperament into salvation. Now, I wanted to hoover up the word of God. Because all I thought was, at first, you know, after my initial happiness going out and everybody needs to be saved and, you know, you, you stick tracks through a million doors and all that, you don't know why all these people didn't suddenly come to church the next Sunday. So then I take the next step of sanctified gospel evangelism. You learn the Bible so that when somebody says something really dumb to you, you can smack them in the face. My word is like a fire, like a rock, like a hammer which breaketh the rock in pieces, Jeremiah 29 says. All right, you, 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 won't, you won't get saved. Here comes comes the rock. Boom. Here comes the hammer. Now you're broken in pieces. Now there's a danger we can go that way, isn't there? You see? Now, what I'm saying is the Bible says all who live godly. Now, I can go out and almost want people to persecute me if I just act like an idiot and treat them badly and bring a Zorro tongue to the gospel. There's lots of answers in here. But the world doesn't always need the answer. It wants to know the love and compassion of Jesus Christ. It wants to know why should I be saved. The world doesn't want an answer. It wants Jesus Christ because he is the answer. So what I'm saying is it's a Bible promise that if we live godly, 
we sh- in Christ Jesus, we shall suffer persecution. But never mistake that for the kind of persecution we get for being an idiot sometimes. We need, to, we need, to be, we need God's touch to make us strong in him to stop us being an idiot, smart aleck. You see, if we were an idiot, smart aleck before, then the day after we get saved, we're an idiot, smart aleck, but we're saved. And God's got a lot of work to do. If you're humble before, fantastic, because you've got a great head start. For those of us that didn't come, listen, I spent 20 years working in the criminal justice sector, the police and the prisons. That's not an environment that cultivates, cultivates humility and weakness, all right? It isn't. God has to do and still having to do a lot of things. And I understand now some problems I have with people are because of me, not because I'm living godly in Christ Jesus, even though I think I might be. What I'm saying, we need God's touch to make us strong, the strength where we stand in the gospel. I want to read you something from what I read in the commentary. It says, um, because God had touched Daniel, he was a man of perception purpose, principle, prayer, purity, and power. He had the touch of God upon him because his trust and confidence were in God. And really that's where I want to close up for us today, you see, because we all know the story in Daniel 6 of him being thrown down into the lion's den and the king just couldn't wait till the next morning to go and get him. And when the king opened up, then was the king exceeding glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no manner of hurt was found upon him because he believed his God. See, Daniel believed his God and that's why he was beloved of God. What am I saying to you? Church, Bethel Free Baptist Church, this afternoon, what I'm trying to say to you in in all humility, and, and I hope we've got something from the Scriptures today, that if you need to be set straight, if you need to be given sight, if you need to be given skill, if you need to be given strength, if you need to be uh, made to stand or to be strong, then look for the touch of God upon your life. Don't try and do it in your own strength. You need a supernatural strengthening. And church, I believe like the Bible says about Daniel, if we will trust in our God and we will believe in our God in the 21st century and we'll put him to the test and look for the touch of God upon his life, then that supernatural touch of God through the Scriptures and the Spirit will strengthen us for all that we need to be to be as great as we needed to be that we looked at this morning, it will be God's touch upon our lives. We bring nothing to him. He brings everything to us. May we find the touch of God on our lives for our Christian service until he calls us home. I pray that God will bless these thoughts to our heart this afternoon. Thank you, Brother Larry.